did you guys just see that bat fly through here? Oh my god. What was up with that? <laughs> huh? <laughs> that bat. It just flew through here. Looked kind of weird, yeah. don't you think? Is this an intro bit? No. No, it was a bat, totally, not an intro. <laughs> it's a totally organic way of having a conversation. That's right. I feel right. like this intro flew over my head. Oh, just like the bat that Jack saw. That's right. You know, seeing bats reminds me of something. <laughs> okay, so. Oh, I remember. I get it, because we're talking about Castlevania today. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it reminded me of. <laughs> So I remember when I was a kid and, you know, I had my Nintendo and there was a video store right down the street. It was a silver screen video and I rented Castlevania 3, right? Cause, yeah. Because Castlevania, the show, is based off of Castlevania 3. Okay. Like roughly at least. Like Sypha and Alucard and Trevor were all introduced in that game along with a character who they cut from this show, which is absolute bullshit. He was the pirate named Grant Dynasty. Dude, yes. that would have been so cool. And I'm pretty sure that later on in like the fourth season, they introduce a character who's kind of supposed to be related to him because I think her last name is Dynasty. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, right. It's not enough. But Grant could like climb on walls and ceilings. It was badass. That game fucking rules. Also, his last name was Dynasty. I know. Even better, right? And he was a pirate. It's just like I like to fuck around sometimes and say Nominasty. Nominasty, yeah. Instead of Namaste. namaste. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, like, the maker, the, the maker, the creator of this show was like, oh, we're not really doing a on-the-sea thing, so we don't need a pirate. What? The sea is in your heart when you're a pirate. Exactly. Like Disney Channel always says, a good pirate never takes another person's property. <laughs> True. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, welcome to Swords and Satire, <laughs> the, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. Me, I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my nautical co-host. This what? show is not about the sea. No, not I'm at sorry. all. I'm sorry. I'm here with my gothic co-hosts. That's better. Me, I'm Cassidy. I go by they, them for them, their pro pronouns. <laughs> them, their, they, them. <laughs> There's what? gold in they, them pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm a castle. I just like to, like, blip around to different places just nice. to... You know, surprise people. It's a jump scare kind of thing. <laughs> I would be really scared if a castle materialized <laughs> in front of me. Apparently, a shockwave <laughs> precedes my <laughs> existence as I pop into new places. I mean, uh, just you don't want to get caught in the wave. I mean, think me. about the matter displacement that is involved in instantly transporting a, what, 400 foot tall castle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, luckily, I don't have to think about it. True. Yeah. Just the vampire who lives inside of me. I just need to be. And I, I just vibe. That makes sense. Talking about matter displacement, you should see the matter displacement when my wife gets into my checking account. <laughs> <laughs> Those decimals just start, uh, just dropping off. Yeah. I think she might be a vampire because she's draining me dry. <laughs> 
All right, guys, welcome our new host, Rodney Dangerfield. Hey. <laughs> he doesn't get any regard. That's right. One of my favorite Simpsons jokes, and it is so simple. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. It's just Rodney Dangerfield playing a character who is very much Rodney Dangerfield and using a different version of his catchphrase. Genius. It's pretty good. But, you know, I'm not actually Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, thank God. Because I figured you were a vampire because Rodney Dangerfield has been dead for like 20 years. So far. So far. So far been dead. Thank you. That's right. But no, I'm not him. My actual name is Jack Olander. I'll take any of them pronouns. Any any pronouns you got. All of them. All of them. Jack is taking all the pronouns that there aren't any left for the rest of us. That's right. <laughs> we needed a pirate this episode, so it'll be me. I'm taking them. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I am actually uh, an art teacher. Oh, wow. And you would not believe who I gave portrait lessons to. Oh, yeah? But Dracula's son himself. Dracula and Lisa. Draculisa, as it were. Now you're talking about their son, Adrian Tepesh. That's right. And, you know, his portrait drawing skills have just gotten so good. <laughs> Do you think Alucard did the portrait of Dracula in Lisa's locket? Because it kind of looked like a similar composition style. Could have been. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. He uh, he always likes doing little portraits. You know, d detail in small spaces. That's True. His, that's his real. You strength. have to have a gimmick to make it on Etsy these days. So that's True. True. Oh man, what do you think Alucard would sell on his Etsy? I mean, obviously the portraits, but like what else? Sad poetry. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like live, laugh, love, die, live again. <laughs> he turns. No, it's like live, suffer, die, repeat. Live, love, loss. <laughs> oh. He sells them as uh, signs that you put up in your house. Yes. Very nice. Live, loss, live again. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? <laughs> I do have a question for you guys, though, that's pertinent to the show. What is a man but a miserable little pile of secrets? <laughs> if they're not that, then I don't know what they are. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. It seems relevant to this show yeah, for some reason. Because we're talking about Castlevania again today. We are. We're talking about Castlevania Season 2. The first half, yeah. by which I mean episodes one through four, because we decided to cut this one in half because the first season is only four episodes, and that seemed like a good number. Yeah. Yeah, four is a good number. We're covering a TV show, of course, because this is one of our satire TV episodes where we cover fantasy TV of some type or another. And this is the most fantasy of TV of them all. <laughs> Or something. Or just one of my favorite shows. I'm just happy that I we're talking about it. I think it's that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love Castlevania so much. The games and the show. They did my baby justice. My baby meaning the game series that I've been playing since I was a baby. Especially their baby, Isaac. Yes. That's right. But we'll talk about that more in a little bit after we give a quick summary of the first four episodes of season two. Thank you. 
Okay, so the first episode we'll be talking about is episode one, War Council. Actually, I'm, I thought, you know, to be brief, I would give the broad strokes of the first half. Sounds good. We, yeah, we love a good it. stroke here. Yeah, exactly. I love a good broad. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a stroke when I see what my wife did to my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield, what are you doing back here? I don't know if he's a vampire, but he's definitely some sort of possessing specter. (laughs) Maybe he's a devil forge master. There you go. Oh, Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) That's great. So let's talk about what's up with Dracula in this first half of the season, right? Please. So he's a sad boy. Just like his son. Yeah. Yeah. Moping around his castle, either sitting on his throne in the war room, talking to his generals who all hate each other and him. Okay, this makes it so much funnier that Alucard, like, at the beginning of this season is like, my mother didn't want me to define myself like my father. And then this whole first half of the season, they are just both being sad little baby boys. It's true. Um, or he hangs out and is sad in front of the fireplace in his study. Yeah, I can dig that. And um, it's kind of like he treats his study like his personal private council chambers or something. Uh, So he's basically conducting his campaign to wipe out all humans. He says in he says it's in Wallachia, but then he goes back and forth between that and just like all humans in general. I mean, I get it. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been like, I'm going to conquer the countryside. Actually, the world. Yeah, this is when he's, like, generalizing his hatred of all Wallachian humans to just, like, you know what? All humans, they've just got to go. Yeah. And um, who does he have in charge of his war effort and the campaign but two fucking humans? Humans? But they're the ones who are supposed to die. Yeah, but these humans are Hector and Isaac. Oh, then it's okay. They are special because they are devil forge masters they can create night creatures with these like magical forging tools okay guys so let's talk about castlevania curse of darkness the game that introduces hector and isaac and also another of my favorite video games of all time okay we'll save that for later okay (laughs) i'm just as confused as you are listeners all right i know exactly what's going on So, yeah, the uh, generals that are of the vampiric persuasion are not happy to have two humans in charge. Racists. Specious? I mean, it's funny when Godbrand calls Hector and Isaac bigots. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Fucking Godbrand. They are judging him for being a vampire. Yeah, but also... Godbrand wants to exterminate the human race. Well, enslave. I thought you were going to say, but also everything they're saying is true because he's a vampire. Um, You're not wrong. (laughs) So, yeah, Godbrand is one of the uh, council members who's a Viking. (laughs) (laughs) He's never met anything that he didn't want to fuck, eat, or build a boat out of. And he is proud of it. Yeah, he's unhinged. Um, oh, I think he's quite hinged. <laughs> <laughs> P- 
played by Peter Stormare, who's either been in other movies we've talked about or is in some upcoming movies we will be talking about, like Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Or American Gods. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He's Chernobog. That's right. I mean, just, I mean, he's from Fargo, right? Like, just absolutely incredible. Far out. Uh, so, another war general shows up, a female vampire named Carmilla, and she shows up with some ideas about how the war effort could be conducted in a more strategic manner, and she ruffles quite a few feathers. Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Feminism is when the... Vampiric warlord who wants to conquer the human race is a woman. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, she makes it clear that, like, she's the smartest one in the room and has the best ideas. She's not wrong. And uh, she basically manipulates everyone and, like, tries to basically appeal to all the male's ego around her to manipulate them and get what she wants and kind of make them think it was their idea. If politics are a game, then Carmilla is the game master. She's a bit of a gamer. (laughs) And uh, she starts scheming against Dracula behind the scenes and trying to influence Hector to see that Dracula is kind of uh, insane. Yeah, yeah. And Hector was already kind of thinking it because Dracula wants to kill all humans and Hector is kind of like soft-hearted out of the two and uh, he doesn't want to kill everybody. He just wants them controlled more so that they don't hurt anything anymore. Hector's got a philosophy, we can say. He believes in moderation and that doesn't mean total extermination. But Isaac... Isaac wants total extermination, just like Dracula does. And Isaac is the only one that Dracula tells his true plans to. I would, too. Isaac rules. Yeah. Yeah. Both Isaac and Hector... I like Hector, too. ...have been hurt by other humans, and that's, like, their motivation to help with a campaign. If being hurt by another human is all it takes to become a uh, genocidal maniac, then I think we're all in trouble. So Godbrand is kind of stirring up his own shit, actually with the help of Carmilla talking to him and convincing him to do so. He basically reveals to Isaac that he thinks that Dracula needs to be taken down and just like sit in his study and let everybody else do the work to run the campaign. And Isaac just fucking kills him. Yeah, he's got to go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. Godbrand really brought a lot of character to the show, but... It's true, but a thing of beauty doesn't ever fade away, so... <laughs> Fair. And, uh, yeah, so that's what's up in Dracula's part of the world. And then... Dracsylvania. Yes. Then we have the trio of heroes, Trevor, Sypha, and uh, Alucard, or Adrian... And he's not supposed to define him to define himself like his father or even in opposition to his father. Yes, they're kind of like aimless. They want to go after Dracula and stop him, but they're not really sure how to start. They kind of are helping clean up Greshit from all the night creatures and the death uh, because they don't know exactly what to do with themselves. And then Trevor points out like 
that his family had all types of knowledge in a a secret crypt, basically, that's like an underground library and repository. That's where all families keep their sacred knowledge and weapons, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 He convinces Sypha and Alucard that that's where they should start because if there's going to be a way to find Dracula and do something about him, that's probably where they're going to figure it out. That's right. That's the ace in his hole. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. (laughs) So um, on their way... To the old Belmont family homestead, they stop through Argesh and dispatch of a regiment of night creatures. One gets away to get back to Hector and warns them. And it died, but Hector was able to revive it. And he found out that, you know, those three were the culprits. But, well, um, he suspects, right? Didn't they know for sure? It told him. Okay. He can, like, communicate with them. And uh, Carmilla thinks they should send a... Murder envoy? Exactly. Thank you. To um, the Belmont old estate. uh, Because she figures that's where they'll go. And... She's um, not wrong. (laughs) Dracula doesn't want to take any uh, resources away from the war effort. So she and Hector basically agree to do it anyway. Generally not a good plan to go behind Dracula's back. Or Bacula. Mm-hmm. Like Scott Bacula. So the the trio of heroes <laughs> find their way to the Be- Belmont uh, estate. It's in ruins, but there's like a magic door leading down to the crypt. Uh, Sypha figures out how to open it, and it was... A magic door. Enochian wards. Yeah. Door of death. And uh, Alucard's like, naughty Belmont's using magic. (laughs) (laughs) Trevor's just like, whatever. I don't fucking know. (laughs) I don't do this magic shit. (laughs) Uh... They get I like Trevor's attitude. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's like, whatever works. Any port in a storm, they say. Yeah. They get down there. It's many levels of a huge library and repository of magical artifacts underground. It's insane how much work it would have taken to create that. Oh, and this is the Castlevania fans' wet dream because it is so full of Easter eggs from the games. We get a portrait of Leon Belmont, the first Belmont from the video game Curse of Innocence. We get the sexiest monster in all of Castlevania, the bone dragon that's hanging up from the walls. There's like cases full of skulls. Like vampire skulls and monster parts and everything. It's just all like a bunch of the weapons from the games. It's just so good. Yeah, this is basically where they're kind of upgrading their equipment. <laughs> you gotta stop to upgrade. Um, so Trevor finds like a better whip with a flail on the, the end of it. Morning star. Mm. So this is an important part of game lore where in the original games you would get improvements to your whip by collecting these Belmont family icons and eventually they became a chain whip which is the Morningstar nice uh Alucard is studying like a scrying mirror and trying to figure out how to work it and um Sifa is doing her best to understand the layout of the library so she can best know like where to go to look up information so They're just like they're starting to get acquainted with the space and they plan to stay there for a few days at least to like 
rest up and gear up. Good thing to do. Um, and while they're there, they kind of start becoming friends. Kind of. Except Alucard is still still keeps a part of himself distant from the others. Oh, gee, you mean like that Dracula fellow's been doing? Yeah, and he's. Uh, Sypha mentions that the well of sadness is so deep within him that anything you say into it will be lost to the void, basically. We all know people like that. He's like the sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old Alucard. Yes. So, yeah, that's about it for the first half of the season two. Excellent. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the scenes, themes, and lore of Castlevania Season 2, Half 1, Part 1, Episodes 1 through 4. So, I thought it was interesting, and let me know if this is wrong, but um, I think they added this for the show. The whole vampire council and all the vampires from all of the different realms and everything. Excellent question. So. Throughout the Castlevania series, the video games, when you're going through Dracula's castle, you're kind of fighting just a hodgepodge of classical horror pastiches, right? You fight like a Gorgon and Medusa heads, which is kind of funny. Um, You know, a mummy, a Frankenstein's creature, different, like in different games, like other vampires just kind of live or occupy the castle. Um, Some of the monsters that Trevor and the crew fight on the road are actually monsters from Symphony of the Night. The um, demon with the pole lance and then the bat demon who picks him up. That's something that happens in in some of the games. Yeah. So in the games, you kind of get this idea that Dracula's castle is kind of a gathering place for different monsters and stuff. So I actually think this kind of makes a nice allusion to that element of the video game lore. That Dracula's castle is, like, just a place where monsters hang out and congregate. Okay. And there are, like, other vampires. Like, Count Orlok is in Dracula's castle in Symphony of the Night. Uh, Carmilla is usually an enemy that you fight. And I think in some of the games, she's, like, a major enemy. Oh. Wow. Okay. Like, a major part of the plot. Well, see, I didn't know any of that. So, uh, I remember the first time we watched the series... Like, we watched season one, and I was like, okay, yeah, Dracula, he's the head honcho, he's the bad vampire, right? He's the guy. He's the guy, yes. Yeah. But then we watched season two, and it's like, wow, there's this whole vampire society, and they have a hierarchy to their system, and, like, he holds court. He's almost like a king. Yeah. No, that kind of... I feel like that thematically ties back to the games. Also... Fun fact, in Symphony of the Night, well, let me take a step back. In Castlevania 3, they introduced all of these characters and Grant Dynasty the Pirate. Yeah. In Symphony of the Night, you play as Alucard, and Alucard, being a dampier or half-vampire, can live for hundreds of years or thousands of years even. So he way outlives Trevor and Sypha and Grant. And in Symphony of the Night, 
you fight like doppelgangers of them all together. So oh, it's wow. Alucard fighting who would have been his traveling companions from hundreds of years before. But like they they seem to be doppelgangers or some kind of like um, clones that you fight out of like these crazy coffins. It's really cool. Like when you know the lore of the games. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's a bunch of uh, vampire generals as part of this war council. But the only two that we really get to know more about and get to, like, get a feel for who they are is God, Brand, and Camilla. Yeah. The episodes are really short and packed, so they don't introduce a lot of characters. You get to explore the characters that we have in detail. That's right. This season is sort of different than the first one in the sense that the first one was introducing... The setup for the setting. Yeah. A lot of world building. A lot of world building. Getting an idea of knowing, like, what L- Wallachia is all about. Knowing about, like, who the Belmonts were. Yeah. And what the last surviving Belmont is like. And you also kind of, like, set up the main conflict. And who are the heroes that are going to be dealing with it <laughs> exactly and we get a lot of dracula's motivations why he's mad at humanity for killing his wife yeah it's true and at the end of season one we see who the three heroes are going to be even though we haven't gotten a lot on alucard yet we know who the three heroes are going to be who are gonna stop dracula from there, so far in season two, we've been setting up, okay, we saw who's going to f- stop Dracula. Now, who's going to side with Dracula? Yes. And we've been getting a little bit more development on Sypha and Alucard. Not a ton, though. Nope. Not a ton. We've mostly been focusing on the opposition. Yeah. It's true. And not even all of Dracula's generals. Mainly Godbrand, who... Burnt twice as bright, but half as long. <laughs> True. <laughs> Literally half the season. Yeah. That's right. And the two Devil Forge Masters, which are just so rich characters oh. already. It's it's so cool that they brought these characters in because Curse of Darkness is a great game. And it's I'm pretty sure the only time that these characters appear and they are set against each other. You play as Hector and Isaac is a completely different character yeah this isaac is so much more compelling even though that game is great the storyline is kind of eh. what they do with the show to build on the lore is so good yeah and we even get a little bit more character development with dracula by showing us what happened to lisa the night she was taken by the church which is intense it is That's the opening of the season. That's right. And uh, we get, as well, that vampire, Carmilla. Yeah. I wanted to highlight Carmilla and Godbrand as sort of opposing forces. Okay. In a a theme I was going to call maybe like open hand versus closed hand, right? (laughs) All right. Do you want to explain those terms? Okay. Well, Godbrand, right? He's the vampire earlier that we said is the Viking. He's the open hand. His intentions are immediately made known and made known loudly in front of an audience, right? 
He's not big on subterfuge. He's an open book. He's a real Peter Stormare character. <laughs> yes, it's true. He's willing to complain about things. And he he does not just take things at face value. Something that he and Carmilla have in common. He doesn't take things at face value? I don't think so. Okay. Because constantly he's being told like, uh, don't worry, dude. This war doesn't have to be strategically planned out. They're just humans. We're going to fuck them up. And, uh, you know, we'll maybe we'll keep them in stables. You know, he's like, wait, what do you mean? Maybe. <laughs> Though- well, I think that's the thing, right? He's the open hand. He likes to deal with certainty. Yeah, it's true. He said Dracula keeps being like, look, Godbrand, you're going to be taken care of. And Godbrand says, OK, you say that. But you're also not saving any humans as livestock. You're just killing everyone. And pig blood makes me shit myself. (laughs) Great detail. Nice to know in the lore that vampires canonically have to shit. Yes, it's true. And so I I just think, like, Dracula keeps, like, being off-put by Godbrand because he won't just say... He won't just accept... That uh, the leader in charge is saying, don't worry, I'm dealing with it. Godbrand doesn't accept that. Nope. Neither does Carmilla. When Carmilla comes in, basically the first thing she does is call out Dracula in front of all the generals and be like, hey, Dracula, you're going to kill all the humans because you loved your wife? Well, if you loved your wife, why didn't you turn her into a vampire, right? Oh, yeah. She is coming in hot. Mm -hmm. Which pisses Dracula off hardcore and does a few things. It destabilizes the loyalty of a lot of the generals. Yeah. And it gets her a private audience with Dracula. Yeah. Which is, I think, what she... Both things are what she wanted. Yeah. Absolutely. She tells him she's just trying to help because everybody's just wondering that behind his back. Yeah, she claims that her actions, while upsetting Dracula, are shedding light on everybody's feelings so that he knows. She's a really good manipulator. It's true. He doesn't look convinced, though. No, he he can see through it. And it distresses him. Yeah. He He doesn't murder her. Yeah, but he just lets her go. He's like, whatever, just leave. Now <laughs> that's the difference between him and uh, between her and Godbrand, because she comes in, she has like an entrance, right, an incentive to get to talk to him. She lays out in a very diplomatic way, like, "Oh, here are my thoughts on what we could do," right, and she presents them in a way that. He can see through as her, like, ambitions, but in such a way that she's not challenging him too heavily that he feels like he has to do something about her. Right. It distresses him, but he just dismisses her. When Godbrand comes in and is like, I don't like your plan, I feel really anxious, fuck this, right? (laughs) Dracula, like, threatens him and belittles him. He, he he lords over him. He literally, Tiny little god. He literally is standing above him and backed him up against the wall. Yeah, he menaces him. Yeah. And uh, Godbrand runs away, basically. And uh, Carmilla tries to get the help of Godbrand. And uh, they have some very funny interactions. But the difference is between them. 
Godbrand is kind of honest. Yes. And very open. Carmilla is deceitful and very closed off. It makes me respect Godbrand's purity and resent Carmilla's two-facedness. Interesting. That makes sense. Now, I already mentioned it before we recorded. But with every strong female character, it makes me wonder whether my displeasure with them comes from a place of the patriarchy. Yeah. Because the patriarchy likes to put down strong women. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen that before. I've heard of this thing before. I've heard of this phenomena called the patriarchy. Thankfully, I've never experienced it in my own life. Thank goodness. But you have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have grown up in this society, right? Which we are part of. Yes. Which we do live in. A lot of times there's going to be a subconscious bias against women who are trying to be strong and assertive, who are trying to stand up for themselves. It happens all the time. And Carmilla is a woman who is defined by her drive not to be controlled by a man ever again. We get a little bit of insight into her backstory where she was turned by a vampire who was a man. A pathetic old fuck or something. He wasn't at first, but over time, he kind of lost sight of who he was. And he grew, he kind of grew mad, she said. Yeah. Yeah, he basically deteriorated. She said that he beat her, too. Yeah. And so she killed him swiftly and successfully. Yeah, and brutally. And she said, uh, I'm never going to be controlled by, like, a stupid old man again, a basically. sad old man. Sad old I man. I mean, I respect it. <laughs> yeah. But one thing I think is interesting is she comes into Dracula's house, his castle, and immediately makes him the same as the man who betrayed her. She comes in ready to betray Dracula and undermine him. Without ever having met him. Because he's a man in authority and she's threatened by that. It's true. Her rage is kind of just against that archetype rather than specific criminals. Personally, I don't have a problem with Carmilla as a character in terms of... I think she's awesome. The way she manipulates people, I think she's always right most of the time. Generally right. Well, for her own purposes and ambitions she's yeah. she was always right like she's a master strategist and so in terms of strategy she seems to always be correct um yes. and um i'd say like politicking right. she's a master politic she's incredibly cunning yeah yeah um these are all things that you know i can admire in a character uh also that dress my problem Ooh. with her is that she's a murderous vampire <laughs> no. so uh, 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 my- <laughs> I can I can see through that. Sounding so, kind of bigoted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be the same no matter what their gender is. Sure. <laughs> so I, that's exactly my point too. I I always try to be mindful when I am displeased with a powerful female character, powerful woman. But in this case, I don't like her because she's trying to hurt Dracula <laughs> and Godbrand, and well, I like both of those characters. That's you fair. Can, you can like characters and then understand that she might be right that Godbrand 
is going to get them all killed because he's stupid. And then <laughs> um, Dracula is insane and he's going to hurt them all because he's trying to slowly commit suicide without actually killing himself directly. You know, it's funny that they didn't keep Godbrand around. And I get it because, again, it's they're short episodes and they're really packing in a lot into every episode. But in a way, Godbrand, Carmilla, and Dracula are these perfect mirrors to Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard, right? I mean, Dracula and Alucard, literally. Sypha and Carmilla are women from cultures that do not really respect women who rise up and become kind of some of the most powerful members of their communities, despite all the opposition. And Trevor and Godbrand never meet, but they're kind of the rough, honest ones, right? They're, they're the pure. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones who are just kind of like do things their way and don't really care about things like pomp and circumstance. They just have a an honest vision of how they get things done. Yeah. Well, they're straightforward. Yeah. I understand how that's perceived as honesty well i'm just kind of saying that like as a gag but okay like they both lack guile they're beings of pure <laughs> instinct passion and intent yeah they don't they there's no scheming that's exactly happening. exactly if so, there's planning it happens pretty much in the moment in action they are they are like feel and react types exactly Carmilla is intelligent like Sypha. And, and cunning. Much like Sypha. And, and um, probably more powerful. Well, I guess Dracula is the most powerful on the evil side. Like you said, she's a master politician, basically. Yeah. Um, so she has a lot of intellectual and social strengths that she's had to develop in order to pursue her agenda and what she sees as important. In a male-dominated world, even though she's a powerful vampire. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like to some extent it might have been an intentional subversion to kill off Godbrand because it feels like these three villain characters are going to be the foils to the three heroes. But Godbrand gets killed halfway through the season to give room for Isaac and Hector's stories to kind of flourish. That's true. I admire Godbrand's gusto and vibrancy of spirit <laughs> yes and uh carmilla is very cunning and basically yeah right about every strat like strategic point she's made yeah from the second she comes on screen so two very strong characters yes however i wanted to mention a little bit about the person who killed godbrand isaac himself yeah <laughs> <laughs> he should not have uh he should not have come out against Dracula to Isaac. Yes. Let's just talk about the Devil Forge Masters. Why are these Please. humans turning against humanity? We mentioned it a little bit in the summary. They're both people who have been hurt by humanity. Yes. Hector, I think, is a little simpler to explain. He values the sanctity of life. He does. In his heart, he has compassion for the dead. Yes. We we see him multiple times in this season 
resurrecting dead animals to be companions. He has a sentimentality that Isaac does not have. He cares about the sanctity of life of all living things, not just humans. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that life is unholy and reanimated. Yeah. Yeah. Pet cemetery style. That's right. When he was a child, he brought a dog back to life. And it, you know, his family did not appreciate this talent. Well, apparently they beat him. Yes. And so he uh, dealt with his parents. Yes. I mean, this is, you know, a... Someone should do something about <laughs> them. This is a cautionary tale in some ways about rejecting your children for their differentness. Yeah. So Hector is someone who agrees to Dracula's plan as someone who has been made a misanthrope through the rejection of humanity. And when Dracula presents the idea to Hector for his war, he says that he is going to put humanity into pens as livestock for vampires. Yes. Hector says that his stance on this is that like any species, the world would be lessened in beauty without humanity around. Yeah. Hector's very sentimental. Just like, you know, getting like the idea of rhinos going extinct is upsetting to a lot of people. For him, that is no different than humanity going extinct. He says uh, population control is important. And a lot of the worst of humanity comes from them having spun out of control and he's willing to limit their numbers. Oh boy, Hector the eugenicist. That's right. Thanos Forge Master? Oh god. But, uh, I mean, (laughs) they're not too off from each other. Do you want zombies? Because that's how you get zombies. It's true. So that's Hector. Isaac? Sweet, sweet Isaac. (laughs) I... Yes and no. I would say that Isaac is the philosophical one. Yes. He's also more brutal. Brutal or brittle? Brutal. Brutal. He might be a little brittle, too. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. He's sl- not slapping so. himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't mean, I don't mean, um, I mean emotionally. Yes. Uh, yeah, he self-flagellates whenever he feels like. I don't know. He said becoming like emotionally weak or something. It's like to strengthen his resolve. He says it helps him focus. Okay. That's right. It's like mindfulness through bodily pain, which we just saw in the show Chambers we were watching. Yeah. Through like self-burning. Right. Oh, boy. You yeah. can replace pain with pain. <laughs> and so that's kind of what uh, I think Isaac is doing. He said it gives him like clarity of thought. Yeah. And... uh We were shown that when he was young, he was taken in by, like, a Christian scholar and was being punished with a flagellating, like... Being punished with, like, a thorn whip. whip Thorn, yeah. Thorn belt, kind of. And uh, for trying to read. Yeah, it's fucked. And uh, when questioned why, Isaac was like, oh, I was doing it so I could be a better help to you. Because I love you. And the guy's like, oh, well, you know, it's not your job to love. And so I'm going to hurt you more to teach you this hard lesson. Yeah. It was fucked. 
it's really fucked because yeah, Isaac is a queer character and um, he's being punished for it. Yeah. And that is a big part of his backstory and his disregard for humanity. Yeah. Say. And so Isaac does something about the scholar. <laughs> he does. Yeah. And uh, so Isaac has seen that when he has given his all to someone for love, his entire practice and like heart, he was brutally tormented for yeah. it. And from that, the lesson he got was that love is like not something that's practical. Yeah. Well, it's I pain. I think he talks about like being betrayed by humans over and over again. And like Dracula helped him when he was being beaten by some other men when he was traveling or something. Yeah. Yes. He says that as a Devil Forge master, his body parts would sell for a lot of money right. all over the world. That's right. Even as aphrodisiacs, because this is that kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> they love that sort of thing. And uh, he said, Dracula, a vampire, someone who preys on humanity, saves Isaac from these people yeah. who are trying to kill him. And uh, this is at a point where Dracula is traveling the world because his wife Lisa has told him to. Right. So he's giving humanity a chance. And... He forms a friendship with Isaac. Isaac is the only character that Dracula has an open relationship with. And by which I mean an honest and like, I think while Isaac views Dracula as a, as his master, I Dracula seems to view Isaac almost as an equal, like as much as Dracula can, he opens up to Isaac in a way that he only ever opened up to Lisa. I think before. It's true, because above all other things, Isaac's main drive is loyalty. Yeah. Right? Or that's his main devotion, not drive. Yeah. He believes that Dracula, much like I believe that Godbrand, is a pure being. <laughs> and uh, he thinks that Dracula pretty much is like an ascended being. Right. Yes. Something... Not unlike a god. Not yeah. not quite to that level, but he kind of says as much that, like, he believes that Dracula is above reproach and doesn't have to explain himself to himself to others. Like you said, he's a pure being. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, Isaac was saying to Dracula, after Carmilla has revealed some of her thoughts to Dracula, but is clearly holding information back. It distresses Dracula. And he goes to speak with Isaac to confide in him, visits him in his workplace, which he doesn't often do. And Isaac says to Dracula, like you were saying, no one has a right to know right. your motivation or your thoughts. Like, I trust you. You can keep it to yourself. And Dracula says, I don't even have to tell you my thoughts. And Isaac says, no. It it is. I mean, the the God comparison is good, right? Because Isaac kind of takes the stance that Dracula works in mysterious ways. He has absolute faith yeah. in Dracula to the point, like you're saying, he doesn't need to know why. Yeah. He said that if 
Dracula lied to him and he somehow found out about it, it wouldn't lessen his opinion of him. Yeah. Because he doesn't feel like he has a right to know the truth necessarily. Yeah. He's like, you can lie to me because I trust you. Isaac <laughs> is a go all in kind of guy. Yeah, it's true. It's because like Dracula is this long lived being who is a repository of all this knowledge and like is like this special, unique being. To Isaac, in Isaac's eyes, and he's without equal. You know? now, now, that's an excellent point because it ties back to something Alucard talks about. Because Alucard is having complex feelings about patricide. Right. <laughs> and he yeah. says, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, we've got to kill my dad, but the world will be a worse place for it because of everything he knows. And how much scientific knowledge the world will lose when we do it. He was lamenting also in that conversation how his mother died because if she hadn't... None of this would be happening. And his dad might have gotten to the point where he saw Lisa's point of view when he got back home and he might have been willing to like start sharing his knowledge with humanity and that's what Alucard is lamenting as well. He was so close to... Becoming more than the monster that's been shunned by society. Yeah. The right. recluse. And uh, that was all just thrown away. Yeah. In a lot of ways, Isaac kind of reveals, like, part of why Dracula did not turn Lisa into a vampire. How so? Well, we see in season two... All of the vampires in Dracula's court are deceitful in one way or another, really power hungry, and they only follow him because he is physically stronger and politically stronger than they are. And he's got a bunch of crazy magic. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, yeah. He's more powerful in ways that can dominate their ambitions. Yes. If at any point they got more, like, violent power than him they would probably just take that opportunity to take him out oh, it doesn't seem like anyone in the court is loyal to dracula for who he is besides than... hector and isaac exactly yeah and that's why when he meets lisa someone who is totally selfless and not afraid of him and not afraid of him all she wants from him is knowledge so she can help others right and that is a type of personality it does not feel like he has had amongst his vampiric peers. Definitely. And that's the thing that he really values about her. So I think he didn't want to change her for that reason. and Like it might ruin what she is that's beautiful about her. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, so much vampire lore and fiction. Becoming a vampire, to use the way that other media phrase it, people lose their humanity, right? Which means they become ruthless or cunning or self-serving or whatever. There seems to be an equation with that. Yeah. You know, in Buffy, it's they lose their souls and losing their souls means they lose the part of them that is compassionate and cares, right? So I feel like to some extent, all the vampires we meet, they're complex in this show. Yeah, they vampires are. Vampires can be very complex, but they are all ruthless in some way. So it seems like 
They're without Ruth. Yes. <laughs> so there's probably a assumption that turning Lisa would change her personality. And Dracula loves Lisa for her personality and for her selflessness. Yeah. It doesn't seem like Lisa ever brought up the idea either. Yeah. And uh, I think in a similar way, Isaac shows that unwavering loyalty. Dracula doesn't feel as confident in Hector. They talk about how Hector is effectively still a child, like developmentally when it comes to like trust in his ideals. And so Dracula said it was easier to lie to Hector about his <sighs> intentions. But Isaac has chosen selfless loyalty yeah. in Dracula in a way that I think kind of reminds Dracula of his wife. That's interesting. And he asks Isaac if he's still his friend, and he basically says yes. Yeah. And then Dracula was like, well, you should know you might be the only one. Yeah. yeah. It's sad. It's oh Man, the fact that we get so much of Dracula's psychology in this show... I think it's really good, and it's not unprecedented, because in the end of uh, Symphony of the Night, Alucard and Dracula have a moment yeah. where Alucard kind of tells... Well, Dracula asks what Lisa's last words were, and Alucard says they were not to hate humanity because oh, their lives are short and they don't like cause harm on purpose it's because they're afraid basically yeah and that like hits dracula really hard and it's why it's part of the, one of the reasons why symphony of the night is my favorite video game of all time because it tells an emotional story with these characters who up to this point had just been like oh dracula is bad vampire go kill bad vampire that's right and that brings me kind of to the last theme that i thought of which was unexamined trauma which is, it feels like we talk about it every episode. It really does. What's up with that? <laughs> Maybe it's just a humanity theme. Yeah, yeah, I that's think it. so. It uh, has nothing to do with us individually. <laughs> no, but uh, we can start, I think, with the characters it really shines through in a lot in these few episodes, Trevor and Alucard. Yes. We get a little bit more of Trevor's backstory. We heard in season one that he's from the Monster Hunter Belmont family. That's right. Which were excommunicated and obliterated. Yep. He's the last of the Belmonts, they say. Yeah. And we get the idea that he was with them for a little bit, but he's been a vagabond since then. And he still has very nice clothing. He still wears the family crest. He vaguely tries to keep the ideas alive. But in season one, we heard he feels defeated. He says he's been alone since he was 12. That's what we find out. Yeah. His family has been destroyed for more of his life than he, he was probably with his family. Yeah. Which is brutal. Yeah. yeah. And he's still trying to keep that idea alive. And Sypha in this episode says that, like, you're always sad. <laughs> but like when I say a joke or make fun of you, you'll like laugh or say something back that lets me know you're still in there. Right. It's right? kind of sweet. It's the idea that like trauma in a way is sort of like a death of ego, right? Or like 
It's like a mini death sometimes. Yeah, it can yeah. be. Absolutely. A death of identity, I suppose, is one way to put it. I think that's a good way to put it. Because he's not found anything else to really dedicate his life to. And he's content to just be a drunkard and a vagabond. And he's like, well, this is this is a fine life for me. He's been without community or purpose. And so Saifa talking to him about this, he's like, am I really sad? And she's like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> You're just so used to it. You don't see it anymore. That's right. So Saifa is so good for the group here. She's like their counselor. It's true. <laughs> yeah, she's very knowledgeable. She's worldly. She's got magic powers. It's everything you want in a counselor. She's no pushover, though. No. She is arguably the strongest member of their party. What yeah. I mean is, like, she's not an empty vessel. Oh, no, not at all. Just to fill with the personalities of anybody around her or, like, to just be an endless repository for their pain or anything. Like, So she's not usual female characters in shows like this. Exactly. Movies like this. Yeah. yeah. She, uh... She's strong in her own right. Yeah, I think she is the strongest one out of the three of them. I think she's a very practical person in the speaker ways. She's sort of been taught the value of like philosophy and action. Yes. She hasn't had one place to call home. She's very community oriented. Which is why she bonds with Trevor and Alucard because they have had similar experiences in their own ways. Yeah. The speakers are people who go place to place, speak many languages, are very culturally accepting and adaptable. Yeah. Despite being mistreated by many communities. That's right. All three of them have basically lost their families. Yeah. And they're kind of bonding and becoming a family. It's true. Together. Now, as part of that same conversation between Sypha and Alucard, I mean Sypha and Trevor... They talk about Alucard. Yes. And where she says, when I joke around with you, you laugh and I know you're still in there. Alucard just isn't. Alucard's trauma is a little bit fresher, I guess. Yeah. His mom was burned at the stake. Like a year ago? Yeah. A year ago. His dad mortally wounded him pretty much. Yeah. Immediately after. And then was sent on killing all humanity, and Alucard went into sleeping to heal for that whole year. Yeah. So he hasn't processed anything. No. We see a scene of him at the beginning of this season drawing his parents in the dirt with a stick. Yes. And basically formulating his plan and coming to terms with what he's going to do and his thoughts about this. It's actually really sad when you frame it that way and like he is still pining over a good life that he had up to this point up he to was really ago. happy yeah yeah and he's crying onto the art while he's drawing it it's messing it up yeah <laughs> and uh metaphors metaphors and uh love that love that uh non-toxic masculinity right there yeah, also that's right and he and trevor poke fun at each other a lot but like they're laughing about it. Yeah, they're like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, you suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but like Trevor just sits down with them. And then like, they all just start making out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that, that they're like, they're kind of antagonistic, but Trevor's still like, I would rather spend time 
just sitting here with you, like, staring daggers at each other than going around somewhere else. It's true. And in this season, Alucard finds himself, like we said, in the House of the Belmonts, in their, like, trove. Yeah. Uh, just dedicated to killing creatures of the night who Alucard is a part of. Yeah, he's like, I'm not as stoked as you two are to be down here, to be honest. Yeah. Well, which is interesting, right? Because Alucard, this is such a typical thing in storytelling, right? He's a child of two worlds. Yes. He he is and is not one of Dracula's people. That's right. It's true. He can go out in the sunlight. Yeah. He, uh... Cries normal tears instead of blood blood tears. tears, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has an easier time connecting to people when he opens himself up. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's just so fresh for him. Yeah, of course. You make a good point. He was basically hibernating. So to him, it was like it happened yesterday. Yeah. It was the equivalent of like, you know, bundled up on the couch, just like grieving under a blanket, watching Netflix and not thinking. Oh, fuck. I need a day like that. That sounds so good. Sounds pretty nice. I haven't done that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Alucard needs it too. And so, yeah, we, we just see those two characters and Dracula who only really has one friend he feels comfortable with left. He's trying to scorch the earth and himself. We get... In his grief. Like yeah. Talking about, like, unexamined grief, he's just lashing out, right? Yeah. We get the insight of multiple characters in the first part of the season who come to the same conclusion, it's not very hard to put together, that Dracula is just self-destructing and yeah. taking everyone with him. He's offering lies or no explanations, and peop- it, everyone can tell. Yeah, pretty much. Even Godbrand. <laughs> <laughs> if Godbrand can see through you, you know that you're not being duplicitous at all. He's gonna make a boat out of you, bro. <laughs> Carmilla is the one who can tell with after being there for less than a day that he's just really trying to commit suicide in a unique way. Yeah, suicide by vampire hunter. Yeah. He's given up on the world, and uh, Isaac is the only person he feels comfortable with, and he's down to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. He lost his wife. He lost his faith in everyone, and then, uh, and also, he nearly killed his own kid. I was going to say, his son ran off after one little mortal wound. Yeah, that probably traumatized him also, though. I think it did. Because that was the one thing he made with Lisa, really. Yeah, it was like, I mean, I think that that's something that happens sometimes, right? When you are experiencing really profound trauma, sometimes you push away the only people who know what you're feeling. Yeah. That, I mean... (laughs) let's talk about like one of the best video games of all time that's not a Castlevania game God of War it's a story about a father and his son who have a hard time bonding over the loss of the spouse slash mother yeah and it's this journey Alucard and Dracula could have had a moment like that I could have had an experience like that where they worked through their pain but they don't and it's sad (laughs) I'm feeling very sad talking about it That's right. And uh, I think that's like the tone of the first half of this season. Maybe the entire season is just like, 
look at how much we've lost. Let's try to save the Something. situation, yeah. right? <laughs> and the then, heroes think that at least. Yeah. The heroes they they still represent some sort of hope and sanctity for life. Yeah. And so we're rooting for them. <laughs> But in my own way, I'm also rooting for Dracula. Me too. He's one of the most likable characters. He it's is. hard not to root for him. Not it, necessarily that he succeeds at his goals, but you want him to, like, get a win in some form. No matter how villainous of a character Graham McTavish is playing, it's always hard not to root for him. That's right. He's just the best. All right, well, I think we've kind of delved as deeply as we can today, but... There'll be more to talk about in a couple weeks when we cover part two. Yeah. Episodes five through eight. Can't wait. Well, guys, I think we could probably save our final thoughts for when we actually do the final half of season two. Makes sense. Especially since we went a little bit longer with our discussion because there was just so much bloody vampiric meat to gnaw on this season, this half. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah. Yummy, yummy. That's what dra- that's what vampires say. That's what they say every single time. <laughs> Ooh, tasty blood. <laughs> Boy, your guys' vampire impersonations are really scaring me. <laughs> I better uh, cover up my neck. And then you'll have the sort of like pompous vampires that are like, they're floral notes, I think, in this <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. uh, we're going to start talking about Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I don't know if it's what it's like these days, but back when I used to read the player books, there was like every vampire had certain like rules they had to follow. Like the elitist vampires could only drink the blood of like a particular type of person. Uh, that's uh, free range. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically, yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll probably do it for us here this week then. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you might want to give it a follow on social media. That way you can keep up with what we do, check out our memes, and get in touch with us if you want to let us know what you thought about the episode. You know, I am one of the hosts, but I always love looking at your memes, Jamie. They're great. Oh, thanks. But also, next week, we are going to be watching Kroll. Why are we watching Kroll? Because it's our fucking anniversary. Three years, guys. Holy shit. That's right. We did it. Three years of hee-hee-ha-has. <laughs> and of pee-pee-poo-poos. Wow. Oh. <laughs> All right, Cass, you do one now. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too dead brain for this. Uh, three years of silly banter. And nerdy witticisms. No, uh, that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. But it you does know, if um, you spell it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Alliteration's fun that way. The written word is the greatest joke of all. <laughs> and you know, if you're somebody that has been along for the ride for any amount of that time, and uh, you're one of our regular listeners, we really appreciate you. But also, if you have the means, you could head over to patreon.com slash satire. And check out our different tiers and maybe decide to join our patron community uh, for as little as $2 a month. You'll get a shitload of bonus episodes already. It's true. And you get to vote once a month on a movie we're going to watch. So that's pretty cool, too. That's right. But if you don't want to support the show through Patreon, if you can't afford it, 
Another great way you can help the show is by telling people about it, especially your friends and your family. Or your enemies. Or yeah, your maybe, enemies. maybe don't tell your enemies. So just anyone. That's right. But if something devastating happened to your family and you've been a loner for years, your found family, like the Castlevania characters, will give you new life. And what better way to show your gratitude than by sharing your favorite podcast with them? Are you the last remaining scion of an ancient vampire hunting bloodline? If so... Listen to Swords and Satire. If you were to draw me as an anime character, I would have the little sweat going down the side of my face right (laughs) now. (laughs) Do you want to put all of the Swords and Satire episodes into physical recordings and archive them in an underground library? To safeguard them for generations? I do now. Well, you're gonna. It's a hidden wing of the Library of Congress. That's right. (laughs) The satire wing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, the best way to create that archive is gonna have to be with your favorite people. And why not just listen to the show with them while you're doing it? Oh, heck yeah. Seems like a good idea. Because the best way to enjoy your favorite media is with your favorite people. Oh, shit. That's what we do every week. Fucking truth bomb right there. (laughs) That's right. All right, cut it. Until next time. Hail Hail Crow!